617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to you. Either the death investigator, the police, EMS, or an interested person. I appreciate you every week when you jump on and spend some time with me and just let me uh, just speak directly into your ears, through your earbuds, and bring you all the training that I can within what little bit of time we have together. I do have a quick request today. I, I need to find an expert in something. And if you're listening and you know of someone who can talk about, uh, time since death, PMIs, body changes, things like that, and someone that has been buried in snow. Now, I understand if they're buried in snow, it's going to be, they're probably going to be frozen, but they probably wouldn't freeze immediately. And anybody out there that has any type of experience working with these type of deaths, like in an avalanche or in things like that, We've had a listener that reached out and asked about some training and maybe a podcast episode about that. And they've worked a couple of cases where they've had some bodies that has been buried in snow and they have some specific questions. Well, some of the questions that they ask, I can answer. Some of them, however, I would like to have somebody that might be a little bit more familiar with cold, extreme cold temperature deaths to weigh in. So if you or someone you know can answer questions about extreme temperature death, reach out to me at the Corner Talk podcast. Just go to the contact link or send me an email at Darren, that's two R's and an E, at cornertalk.com, and let's get the conversation started, and maybe we can get you weighed in. All right, quick training announcement. We As this comes out live, this is the first few days of March. Our Medical Legal Online Academy is starting in just a couple of days. However, we have the the full 40-hour on-site, hands-on, practical medical legal death investigator class starting March 18th. And so if you're listening to this soon when it comes out, that course is still available and still ready for you uh, to register. But we have a lot of other courses too. We have the surface and buried body recovery. We have fire and explosion uh, death courses. We have child and infant courses. We have suicide investigation courses on and on and on, both in classroom and online. So if you're needing training, whether it be general death investigation training or specific death death type related courses, we have it for you. And if there's something we don't have, we can certainly find experts in myself and we can create it. So no more saying you can't find training. We have it. And if you have questions about, uh, about any of our registration and any of our courses, just reach out and ask. Now, if you'll stick with me till the end of the show, I'm going to tell you how to get a free issue of the Death Investigator magazine. Now, this show isn't nearly as long as last week's, and so you won't have to stick around as long. But at the end of the show, when I come back in, I'm going to talk about how to get your free issue of Death Investigator magazine. But let's talk about today's guest. Today's guest is Brad England. Now, last week, I had Ricardo Martinez on the show from... Within the Trenches podcast and the I Am 911 movement. 
And, you know, he talked about 911 nationally. We talked about then and now reclassification, uh, mental health. We talked about a lot of things with 911 dispatchers. This week, we're going to actually have a 911 dispatcher in studio with us, and he's going to talk about the actual job, you know, what he does every day. He is also a supervisor for the center, and what 911 dispatchers, some real-life examples of what 911 dispatchers go to. Now, it doesn't take away from Ricardo. Ricardo was uh, talked about some of the very same things, but this case is actually someone that's still behind the mic, still doing the job, and can really put different perspective on stuff. So between last week and this week, you will have a full perspective of the 911 dispatch center. So we're going to we're going to come a little local here. So anyway, this is a person that I know. He is on in our local center and he is a very good communicator and you're going to love listening to our conversation. So without any further delay, let's jump into that conversation and then I'll be back with my thoughts and how you can get your free copy of the Death Investigator magazine. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, I'm back, and I'm so excited that joining me actually in the studio, and a lot of times uh, people are coming in to the studio through the internet or phone or something like that, but I'm excited to have in studio today uh, Brad England, which is the assistant director of our local 911 communication center. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, we're going to talk at length today, not only about your career, but about the 911 dispatching as a whole. And, you know, sometimes I don't like that word dispatcher because, you know, sometimes it comes with a negative connotation. It seems like in some ways, but dispatcher is probably, in my opinion, one of the most important roles, because as I've said on the show many times, Every call that we get as law enforcement or coroners or whatever originates from you, from your office in in every state. So you've been at this for quite a while. How long have you actually been in the 911 system? I've been a dispatcher almost four years. I'll be four years in July. I happen to like dispatcher. Some people call us telecommunicators. It just feels like dispatching is what I do. I take the call. I send out the help. Right. Right. And you do. And I know that in a trucking industry, a lot of the uh, p- people who coordinate the trucks are called dispatchers. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and it is it is what you do. But, you know, there is um, a lot of things out there that, you know, try to be politically correct. And 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 one of the things that's, that's going on in the nation now, which I'm very much for. And, and I know we've had Ricardo Martinez on a lot. And it's this I am 911 movement. Um, are you familiar with that? I do uh, know about I am 911. And most people in our office, we love that movement. We lo- love the, the way that it brings a little bit of attention to what we do. Right. And one of the things that it, the movement is trying to do is to get 911 operators, dispatchers reclassified from clerical to a protected class. Yes. So I am assuming you agree with that, but what are your initial thoughts on that as well? Well, that's how IM 911 started to reclassify us from clerical to public safety. It kind of evolved into something different. There were so many people across the nation and across the world telling their stories that it was kind of a, a therapy where they told their stories of this is what happened to me, and this is why I am a dispatcher. This is why I am a 911 dispatcher and not just a secretary. 
there's to us it's, there's a big difference between secretary and I'm not demeaning secretaries if you want to call them administrative assistants or not but there's a huge difference between a 911 dispatcher and being clerical no you're exactly right and that's they've been clerical for a long time and some of that may only be because you know going back in the 60s and 70s and a lot of rural departments they were a little bit clerical. I mean, I can remember back in the 80s, some small counties in Missouri where at nighttime, the dispatcher actually dispatched out of her home in her living room. And she had a she had a base unit set there. All the phones were transferred to her house. And she dispatched from her living room. I wouldn't doubt that at all. It, it hap- absolutely happened. And during the day, though, the dispatcher worked at the sheriff's department, but also ran the jail mm-hmm. and some other duties. We still have some of those uh, nearby. Sullivan, in fact, takes care of a couple of cells, a couple of jail cells, as well as dispatches, takes phone calls, and they right. handle the building. Right. And I think that's where it maybe has come maybe slow in getting into a protected class or a public safety class because uh, still yet today, but certainly more so years ago, it was a different system where dispatchers were uh, you know, doing a lot of, a lot of different things. Uh, I, I mean, I can remember even back when, before 911, when the dispatcher would look up and see these telephones and they were all marked with uh, a city fire department, a city ambulance district, a city police. And when it would ring, a light would flash. Yeah. So he would know when he picked up that receiver, I'm talking about literally phones in front of him on this slanted wall. When he picked it up, he would answer it, so-and-so police department. Well, I can remember walking into dispatch and him having three phones going at the Multiple same time. phones, yes, sir. Um, and, and so, you know, <laughs> the whole dispatch thing has come a long way. And another thing that I mentioned on earlier, but people I don't think realize, and, you know, coroners and MDIs and police officers that listen to this show, most of them realize, but I want to restate the fact that every call we get, you guys get first. We do, usually do, yes. And... Some of them, you never know the outcome of. You you just send people out. You never know sometimes if someone lives or dies. But there's times, and you mentioned about stories, where some of the dispatchers are taking calls from people that's needing help, and they're, and they're hearing their very last breath. Yes. They're hearing a mother screaming because their child is no longer breathing. They're trying to help them through CPR. But they realize on the other end, the child is probably dead. There's nothing I can do, but I'll try to help on the phone while yes. ambulance is coming. So how does that, how do, has that ever affected you? And is there any, without names, but is there any stories that stick out in your mind as something that just stays with you? It absolutely has affected me. It affects everyone because hearing that and not knowing the outcome, but even hearing that and knowing the outcome, you're now a part of that outcome. You were a part of that person's life for however many seconds, however many minutes. And those are sounds that, sh- that you will carry with you forever. And there's that's just the way it is. Every dispatcher carries those stories with them. Right. And and they can be pretty haunting sometimes. They can. I've got a couple here if I can read them. Yeah, these please. Came directly from the IM911 website. And some of them are, you know, word for word have happened in Crawford. So, um I mean, I'll read this one. It says, I stayed with you on the phone, shaking, as you told me the details of your daughter's rape. I went to the bathroom and I cried for her, for you, and I hugged my family extra tight that night. I am 911. 
I have another one that says, uh, blue face, cold to the touch. I helped you with CPR after you found your infant face down, not breathing. It messed me up. I did everything I could, but it wasn't enough. I have another one. I had to listen to your last words over and over again to find the information that would lead us to your killer. You were one of my officers that night, and a part of me died with you. And, and they're all very, very touching, and they're all, in and of themselves, got their own issues. But, of course, what hits me, too, is as a police officer, you know, I've been involved over the years with some calls where officers have been in shots fired and things have happened. And, and so when you're sitting behind and your supervisor, so you also also have, you know, your crew sitting there. But when you're sitting behind that mic and you can hear in the officer's voice that something's wrong. Now, he may not be hurt, but he's certainly in something's wrong because you can tell in his voice what goes through you immediately. How do you how do you respond to that on the first few seconds? Well, it's it's an immediate muscle memory reaction where you set up just a little bit straighter and your mind starts working. What am I going to do now? What do we do? And you go into a muscle memory reaction where you just start working a little bit harder, focusing a little bit more. You get your team, whether it's a snap of your fingers or whatever, but they're usually now paying attention just a little bit more. You can hear that in the voice, and you start getting people going. If you hear any kind of inflection, or even if it's just silence, you start getting people ready to go. You find out where they are on a map, and you start in your mind, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send this person. I'm going to send this person. This guy's next closest. We have them ready to go just in case. And that takes knowing where your officers are. And I know in your particular office, they're just now getting into tracking cars for years. They never had that ability. And there's a lot of departments that don't have the ability to actually DPS track cars on a map. So you don't know where they're at. You just have to start asking sometimes. Yes. Uh, But you also have a memory of where an officer last was, you know, and they may have run a license plate at a certain section of county or town where they're probably not there now, but they're not maybe far away or something. Yeah, we train our personnel also, and we'll ask them a question. Okay, where's this officer at? Okay, now we now you know where they are, but you also need to be cognizant of the fact that they're out with these people. Pay attention to them. We know where they are and what they're dealing with, and you you try to remember that no matter what's going on in the county. Right, right. And I can remember kind of a funny story. This is, this is a, a good dispatcher. She's no longer a working dispatch, I, I don't believe. But uh, this has been years and years ago. I knew her in high school. She hung around the sheriff's department, went and got actually certified as a police officer, worked dispatching, and, and when it was a sheriff-jail combo, then went over to 911, been at it for years. And she was one of what I thought was the best at that time. And there was a time that I was in a, a pursuit, and I told her, I, I called in and I told her what road I was on, and I had just crossed to another road and took my first left, and, and at that point I was out of the car on, on foot pursuit. Now, what I had not told her was which direction I'd came in from. Right. And this particular road, I, you could come in from two different directions. So she didn't know which direction I came in from. So the first driveway on the right didn't make any sense to her because she didn't know which yeah. direction. Well, without missing a beat, she sent deputies and highway patrol to both ends of that road to the first driveway 
on the right yeah. to get me help. <laughs> didn't question it, didn't think about it, and of course I got help there right away. Now, a set of them went to the wrong place, but a set of them went to the right place. She sent more help than what was needed. Exactly. Because all I told her was first driveway on the right, out on foot pursuit. Didn't tell her enough. But this and, and I thought that was fantastic. The same dispatcher one night, um, this is when it was still the jail combination was trying to enter warrants. And you know how that is, trying to enter yes, warrants and things. So she's trying to take care of the jail. It was a Saturday night. She was trying to book somebody, answer the radio, answer phones, do all this stuff and all the clerical stuff as well. Well, it was a good night to run traffic. So I was running a lot of traffic. And so she didn't want to get upset with me, but she said, I, she, in her mind, she said, I got to end this. So she sent me on a dog call <laughs> to when you would know where this is at to the Vi, uh, to Viburnum I on do. the county line as far away as you as can go as far away as I could go <laughs> to a dog call and then when I got out there it was unfounded of course <laughs> but that gave her and then I had to come that gave her a good window to get caught up because it put me on a dog call that didn't exist yeah but you know I you know I I think it's kind of funny that she had that much smarts to do that. <laughs> Today, I'm not sure how they could do But today, you're running more than one person. You know, you've got two or three people in there. We absolutely are. We have uh, different municipalities and, and the sheriff's department as well. Also, we have the ambulances that are, you know, circulating throughout the county and the fire departments, the occasional highway patrol, the occasional conservation, the occasional coroner. We, we had a lot going on. Yeah. And you guys, how many dispatchers do you normally run per shift? We at minimum, have two. We try to have three. And, and the workload is such that we need three. Right. And so do you have uh, statistics on the number of calls that you guys get? Do you track 911 calls, all calls for service? How do you track? We, we do track, uh, you know, we can we have the ability to check, let's say, for example, Cuba Police Department's calls for a year, for a month, for a day. We can do that for any agency. Right. And you guys handle a large volume of calls we in do. and of themselves. We handle a large volume for being a rural county because yeah. we have an interstate that runs through because we're kind of tour- tourism oriented in the yeah. summertime. Yeah. A lot of campgrounds and, and things like that. Um, you know, one of the things that, that that I think we have here, but other places may not. What if someone in the, in the community wanted to actually come and and tour or visit or look to see what the dispatch center does. Does your dispatch center allow that? And to what limits? Uh, of course, uh, huge metropolitan areas may not be able to, but but what do you kind of do in your position? We would allow that uh, as, if it was a police officer or another first responder, that would be no problem whatsoever. As far as the general public, we would allow that. However, there would have to be a, a few parameters we would need to sign a non-disclosure agreement. It's just a piece of paper saying that what you see here stays here. We would uh, we would put away some of the confidential materials, and it's possible that we would have to cut that short, you know, that stay short if something hot did happen. Uh, but you know, we're a public uh, agency funded by tax dollars. Right. There's no reason why the public can't see what we do. Right. But there would be. Due to privacy, there would be some rules. Sure, sure, that and that makes sense. So, to be a dispatcher, not only to in your area, but also that you know of nationwide, what are some basic requirements to work in a nine one one center? Basic requirements would be you need to be able to to multitask. Uh, you got to be able to to problem solve. Uh, you got to be able to think clearly because uh, you're going to be doing multiple things at once, but you're going to be problem solving at once. You have to be able to type proficiently. Uh, 
I'm not necessarily a great typer, but I've gotten better since I've worked here. You got to be polite. It's customer service. You got to answer the phone. And even if it is a cranky caller, you still have to be polite to them. That's our job is to be nice to the caller, to be professional on the air. Uh, As far as requirements go, I mean, you just, you have to be able to handle a lot and handle a heavy load and be proficient at it. Right. And I know that there are times we're, we're all human and there are times that people's voice inflections um, come out, their voice inflections come out when they're aggravated or a little bit sarcastic from the law enforcement side and from the dispatch side. And I, I do see that it's caught pretty quick and they change, but it happens. It does happen. And, and you know, especially when you're dealing with an officer that something has happened and a dispatcher is busy and they're, they get a little cranky. And again, this isn't about a dispatcher issue. Officers, fire department, ambulance, we all are in, do it to each other, okay? But when you're in the 911 center like that, then scanner land, as we like to call it, yeah. here's all of it. Yes, they, they may do. not hear a specific officer or a specific EMS, but they always will hear 911 operators on the radio. Yeah, you know, it, it, it happens. And maybe that police officer gets a little cranky with you and your, your visceral reaction is to want to be cranky back. But we have to be professional. So you have to catch yourself. You have, to, you have to remember it's not personal. You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what they're looking at. You don't know what sort of frustrations are going on in his head or his or her head. And so you have to be professional at all times. And, and we tell each other it's not personal. Just answer professionally. Try not to be cranky back to them because all you're doing is amping them up. Exactly. And they could just simply, the officer or the dispatcher could simply be having a bad day. And you don't know, you know, maybe that officer has gotten into a pretty bad argument with a spouse. Maybe there's Mm -hmm. depending divorce. Maybe there's something. You don't have any idea. No idea what's going on in their head. Right. And so then they're trying to do their job, but you are too. And then they come back at you. They bark at you, you know, um, so... But but without officer personalities or nothing like that, there's got to be some things, though, that, that, that you personally, but then also as a team effort, what are some annoying things that, that we do for you <laughs> or to you? That, and I say we, meaning police, fire, EMS, coroners. Well, it's interesting that the topic of this began as dispatchers being treated like secretaries by the federal government. Sometimes police officers treat dispatchers as secretaries. And that is annoying to most of our team. CINCOM, can you do this? Okay, can you do this? And while you're doing that, how about doing this? And also, can you call this person and do that? And that might be the most annoying thing is, CINCOM, can you call this person for me when you're sitting in your car and you have a smartphone in your hand? And I understand that that officer's probably doing something too, but they can make a phone call as well. Maybe the most annoying thing is, CINCOM, can you call this other officer and have them call me? That one really drives us up the way. Right, right. I can see that. You know, I think uh, we've mentioned before, like, mic clicks. What do you mean by mic clicks? Mic clicks, especially on status checks. A status check is to determine that you are safe. We do that every four minutes for a police officer that's on an incident. So if we say, you know, CENCOM, whichever officer you are, status, you're supposed to say we're secure. A lot of times we just get a click, click, and it a click click to us is not the word secure. So are you click clicking us because you're in a fight and you can't talk? Or are you click clicking us because 
and I'm going to go right out and say it. You're lazy. You're lazy, and you don't want to take the time to put your mouth by the mic and say secure. I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, we, that's Morse code. It's not Morse code to dispatch. <laughs> we don't know. No, we don't know Morse code. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I know. I I don't know that I have done that one. I've done things to annoy you all, but I've not done that one. I don't think. But I know I've seen other officers do it, and one of the reasons why I see them doing it is because their lapel mics are generally on the front of their uniforms. Yeah, and they're talking to someone. Yes, and someone is telling a story, and some people don't take breaths between their storytelling. Yes, and so. Syncom is calling, and so rather than leaning down and talk, they just click the mic a couple of times. But here's where the confusion is. Number one, they should just say secure and let's interrupt the person. But but what the officer doesn't realize is you don't know who clicked that mic. I have no idea. It might, you know, they're saying they clicked the mic, which means they're okay. But that could have been a mic click from somebody across the county that just happened to bump it with their knee. Could have been. Uh, surely there would not be another officer out there playing a trick, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you've you been at this center about four years, and, and that goes, of course, again, I have these old time stories, you know, back from the 80s. But, you know, we used to run, and the dispatchers would get annoyed at us because we used to have, and they still exist, but we've been given extreme orders do not use this anymore but there are some license plates out there that are oh yeah pretty interesting yes um, interesting is the right word yeah for some it. of them of course come out fairly dirty kind of even a sexual orient uh, a connotation to them but you know one of them i remember years ago was you know we would go and find a suspicious car at whatever address and it'd be mcdonald's and the name of the the, the person who registered the car was ronald mcdonald yeah now, those those are funny enough but it takes airtime and whatever. But then there's some that the dispatchers are too embarrassed to say on the radio. And, That's and, true. But officers do it to goad you. By, by rule, we're not supposed to do that anymore. The highway patrols yeah. cracked down on what we can and cannot say, and you shouldn't be running just willy-nilly anything. Right. You need to have probable cause yes. why you're running that. And so if you're throwing these, and they were real once upon a time. They were yeah. real license plates, right. but they're not necessarily anymore. They, right. they really want us to focus on their test license plates and not on these that are funny. And then it goes along with being professional on the air. Are you really going to say that on the air? Probably not a good idea. Right, right. But again, times, times they are a changing, (laughs) but you know, back in the day and and the the dispatchers, you know, kind of got aggravated about it. But, but again, some of that is good rivalry and some of it gets to be bad rivalry. Um, You know, there's, so there's, there's, you know, now you guys got uh, two or three dispatchers, you know, and then again, this isn't about, you know, you're local to me and we work together. So this, but this conversation isn't just about us locally, but it's about nationwide. Uh, you know, I've heard complaints about in small rural areas, uh, you know, a, a, an officer is out on the traffic stop and a fire department is calling out or calling in whatever. And they let the officer wait while they answer the EMS. Well, in the, in, in our particular case, we have, you know, multiple dispatchers, one's assigned officers a lot of times, one's assigned EMS a lot of times, and yeah. we don't have that weight. But in smaller areas, that's where there's can be some feathers ruffled could because be, officers yes. don't think they should wait. One, they could say safety, that's true, but everybody got to take turns when there's only yeah. one of you. We do have to take turns. You have to prioritize. Now, if you're on a traffic stop, that's a priority call. Right. And if you don't believe that, just look at the statistics nationwide, the officers who are hurt or killed on a traffic stop. And that's a big deal to us. We really pay attention to traffic stops. And so we have certain protocols in place where 
your traffic is a priority at certain times during that traffic stop. There are certain times where you're more secure than others, like the front end of the call. You're not as secure as you are in the middle of the call. Right. But either way, you do have to prioritize. Fire units driving somewhere are not as much of a priority as a, an officer on a traffic stop. Right. And an officer saying that he needs to make a phone call is not as high priority as an ambulance arriving on scene. We have to choose which radio traffic is the high priority, stand by the other, and then get to them in time. Right. So it's just a matter of prioritizing and not forgetting which one actually did call out and you never answered them. Right, right, right. And, you know, one thing that we are doing locally, which I want to talk about just for a second, because I think it's to all of our listeners out there, if you're not doing this, this is something that if you're not in command, then get with your command and figure out how you can make this work. But but our county, our region ha- works very well together between departments. Yes, we do. And one of the things that, that is currently happening is uh, yourself and uh, one of one of the local fire chiefs is uh, putting the has a communication program together, and you're going throughout different parts of the county, and you're teaching this class. Um, and and the the thing I'm at, getting to is, it gets this type of conversation going locally. You know where hey, why don't you answer me? Well. But you got to understand, we're doing this and this. Oh, yes. well, I didn't know you were doing this and this. Well, here's why my clicks aren't, you know, my clicks don't work because I don't know if it's you or somebody else. It's the conversation. And, and getting this conversation started alleviates a lot of confusion and probably ill will towards other officers because now they understand yeah. what they didn't know. Yeah. If you don't know, you're going to make an assumption. And I like to use the phrase professional reciprocity, where if you communicate with each other, the basic line is we're all we're all on the same team. We're all serving the public. And so I am not putting you off because I don't like you. I might be making you stand by because something else is going on. And I've not forgotten about you. But part of this class that you mentioned is I asked our dispatch team, what do you want everybody else out there to know? What do you want the firefighters to know about dispatch? And what do you want to know about them? What do you want the police officers to know about dispatch? What do you want to know about them? And so it was a kind of a back and forth. And Steve Kemker and I put together a, a slideshow where we're going to, in three times in February, we're going to take it around the county. We're going to invite all responders to sit and we'll go through this slideshow. And it's going to be some humor, but there's also going to be some, some pointed things. And, and most of it is be professional to each other. Take turns on the radio. We can get really, really busy in the summertime. Uh, we can get really, really busy all year long, but during the summer seems to be the time when the ambulances are running. There's fires to fight. There's, you know, there's all kinds of things going on at the campgrounds. Police officers are going everywhere. Just be professional on the radio, and that goes both ways. And so a lot of what the dispatch team wanted to talk about was just certain things that either irritated them or that they wanted other people to know about dispatch, that we're not just sitting there scrolling through Facebook, not answering you. If that was the case, that would definitely be a problem, but that's not the case. So they just, they just wanted people to know what they thought, and they also want to know, you know, what do you think as a firefighter? What do you think as a, I call them ambulance drivers, that might be kind of a derogatory term. Kind of like dispatchers. Them, Some people don't like that well, word. That's true. But I like all of my ambulance drivers. So, uh, you know, what do we want to know about each other? So if we can effectively communicate back and forth and give each other a little bit more professionalism. And Crawford seems to be an anomaly. I've only been in this four years, but I keep hearing, well, this county 
no one can get along. This county, no one could get along. We actually have a chief's organization that meets every other month where we sit and we talk about ideas and we talk about what's working, what's not working, and what can we do. And that's where this, these, uh, these classes have uh, sprung from is the couple of chiefs getting together and saying, let's do this thing to where we can better educate and get everybody on the same page and work together as a team. And I think that, and that's what started this part of the conversation was, I think every county, uh, or if you're a regional or whatever it is, to have this same philosophy. Because you're right, I, I've been at this a long time in this county, and I know what other counties around us are like, and it's not like this. Also, I travel all over the United States uh, teaching coroners and police officers and things, and when I talk about some of the cooperation we have here, uh, I, at breaks and things like that, I talk to officers like, there's no way. There is no way the police chief and the fire chief would ever sit down and have a conversation. Well, that's a problem. And yet we sit next to each other yeah. and, and, you know, make fun of each other. But we have serious discussion and yeah. we try to solve problems. Yeah, but other other areas aren't that way. So so we do have a model here that I think is is something that that any state or any area or district certainly uh, can can follow. Uh, one of the last question I want to kind of talk about was, uh, you know, I deal a lot with the mental health uh, with uh, police officers, firefighters, and things like that. Uh, and again, uh, partly the I am nine one one movement is bringing this out even more. But uh, I do believe that that dispatchers need to be involved in some type of a mental health awareness I'm not saying that everybody that's been in 911 system needs counseling but something to talk about the bad and to know that there's help because the secondary traumatic stress is caused from a built up over time and again it really is and dispatchers hear everything bad they do and so uh, you know over time that can create a mental issue so you know, regardless of what's going on now, currently with your organization or not or whatever, but what is your personal beliefs about uh, mental health for dispatchers and, and where the the nation should be trending to make sure that we're protected in that area? Well, I think it's important. I think every dispatch team should be able to avail themselves of some kind of a therapist or psychologist or, or whatever you want to call them, somebody to just talk to, somebody of a professional nature that will listen to you and can help you. And I know from personal experience that it has helped me. I have sat with therapists before. I have this uh, secondary stress disorder. I've been diagnosed with it. And so I've sat with, uh, with, with therapists before. I've seen my own team after some particularly bad and horrific calls. We've brought in a, uh, a, a, a I don't know what the proper term, in, term is, but I'll just say therapist. We've brought in a therapist to the office and, and I, and I tell the, our, our team, I'll sit in there with you if you want me to, but I don't have to. And some of them, they have. Some of them, I have sat in there, and we've sat there, and we've cried. But they get it out. And I think right. that's the important thing. Get it out. Talk about it. And then we can move on. Because if you wad it up and ball it up and swallow it and hold on to it and compound that by years, now you have a mental problem building, and right. I think it's very important. Right. And, and I think that you're going to have some stigma in the 911 system, dispatch system, similar to police, probably not to the same extent, but police officers suffer this, this, this problem of, if I go to my commanders and say I'm having a problem, they'll put me on a desk and take my gun. Yeah. And that's a problem that you know, whole nationwide we're trying to get over. Uh, and I think it's getting better, uh, but dispatch doesn't have that per se now if you if you're not able to function on the radio then that's 
something they got to yeah. work through. But just having a problem isn't enough necessarily to take off the radio. But they don't carry guns, and they're not out there. So yeah. so that's what police officers are afraid of. I, I see two schools of thought, and one might be a, a newer, more modern school of thought, and one would be the older one. And the older one is become numb. Right. Just go to work, do your job, be numb to what you know. It just happened. Just don't think about it. Ball it up, swallow it, and come in the next day, and just be numb to it. And I, I don't, I don't like that. I like being, I like the emotion of it. I like being on the edge, though, quick, because it's important. It's important to be able to uh, react to somebody and help them. I feel like I can help somebody better if I am able to hold on to my emotions and react to them better. I, and I feel, I feel like my personal experience can help a, say, for example, a suicidal subject. I can talk to them or somebody who is having a problem with a, a, a child. Maybe their child's not breathing. I'm trained to be calm, but after that call, I might break down. I have no problem with that. I think other people do that as well because they don't want to hold it in because it drives us to be on the edge, to be the best that we can be, to be in that spot where we are the best that we can be, that emotion drives us. Instead of ignoring it and becoming numb to it, the emotion then drives us to be better. Right. No, I I agree, and I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So I, I respect what, your guys is, what you guys do, what dispatchers nationwide do. I couldn't do it, I don't think. Um, there's too much going on at the same time. There's too many phones and computer screens. I mean, if I walk in there and I see one one of your dispatchers sitting there with, what, five, six screens? Six screens. Six screens in front of them and the headset and everything going on. I'm like, nope, I'm out. You know, <laughs> um, and, and I respect what they do. And the thing is, it isn't just here. I mean, imagine these metropolitan areas that have multiple people in multiple. It's massive. And and it's just it's never ending in the calls and and so I I don't want it so I <laughs> I respect what you guys do and, and you have a, a, a certainly a, a gift and ability to do that and I do agree that that nine one one dispatch needs to be moved into public safety class a protected class and I hope that can over the last couple of years been more and more conversation and I think it will get there because it's becoming more aware and of course mental health is becoming more yeah. aware. And I believe it's going to happen. I don't know, you know, what it's going to take and when, but it shouldn't be a hard decision for them just to make that classification change. It shouldn't be. The job has evolved in my four years, and it's certainly evolved from the time when it was just, like you said, somebody at home answering the phone, and that's all they did. Right. All they did was answer the phone and write something down. Right. There's so much more than that. Right. So much more. That's right. Well, Brad, thank you for being on the Corner Talk podcast. I appreciate it. I know the listeners got a little bit more insight into what actually you do. And so I appreciate you being on the show. And again, I want to just want to thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it with Brad. He's a very, very good communicator. And, and I really liked his down-to-earth style of explaining what the, what the job is. Now, as I promised, in the front of the episode, I was going to tell you how to get your free issue of Death Investigator magazine. So if you are not a current subscriber and you thought, well, I don't know, I really would rather check this thing out, here's how you do it. You go to your Android Play Store, Google Play Store, or to your iOS app store, 
whichever platform you have. It could be on a mobile device. Of course, if it's a very small mobile device, it could be kind of small to read, but or a tablet, iPad, something like that. You go download the app. When you download the app, and the app is called Death Investigator Magazine, and when you download that app, there is a free issue already in the app, so you can read the magazine just as you would as a subscriber. You get the full functionality of all of it. If you like what you see and you think, you know what, I would really like to have all the back episodes issues and anything going forward, well, then you can subscribe either monthly, quarterly or annually. That's up to you. But at least let me give you a free issue so you can actually see the magazine, see the layout, see what it's like and be a part of that. So if you want to try it before you buy it, now's the time to do it. All right. With that said, let me go ahead and let you go for today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Corner Talk podcast. Like I close every single week, I want to say be a blessing to someone. Find a way to bless your fellow man around you. And above all, we want you back next week. So above all, be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617-1024 scene en route to morgue.